Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Not out of the winter woods yet. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, more shoveling and shivering for New York and Pennsylvania. A lake effect snow warning continues till 7 tonight. For Erie, Genesee, and Wyoming counties in New York, here's the mayor of Buffalo, Byron Brown. It's been a five-day event, a lot of snow. More than five feet of snow on the ground in western New York. Travel bans that were enacted yesterday have been lifted throughout Erie County. Still, says Public Works Commissioner Nate Martin. Right now, we're urging uh, all of our residents to use caution and go slow when they're on the road. Jeff Sparley is a lifelong resident of West New York. I think growing up in Buffalo, you kind of get used to this, and we were just kind of waiting for it to happen this year, and now it's here. At least three deaths blamed on the snowstorm in western New York. Two of the victims were shoveling snow. The third was hit by a car. Five women from the same family were killed in a car crash on a highway near Scranton, Pennsylvania. Casey Bortnick with Spectrum News. Pennsylvania State Police say it happened on I-81 northbound shortly after 5 Tuesday night. They say one car hit a concrete divider in the left lane and relatives in the other car pulled over on the right shoulder, then walked across the road to talk to the people in the first car. Tractor trailer driving in the same direction then hit the first car and the relatives from the second car leaving only one survivor. The victims were all from the Binghamton area. PennDOT's Jonathan Eboli. If your vehicle ever becomes disabled or you have any type of breakdown on an interstate, uh, we do recommend that you pull your vehicle as far away from the active uh, lanes of travel as possible. Mike Metician is an EMS worker in Lackawanna County. He says if you've been in a wreck, do not wander on the highway. Staying calm will save your life. Um, stay in your vehicle if at all possible. Uh, check to make sure that you're not injured. If your passengers, make sure that they're not injured. If you're off the roadway, stay in your vehicle. If you're on the roadway, stay in your vehicle. Pennsylvania's move over law was designed to avoid tragedies like this. It's unclear if the driver of the big rig face charges. T-minus five days till the New Hampshire primary and Donald Trump's hoping to go two for two in nominating contests for president this year. He's keeping pressure on Nikki Haley who's nipping at his heels in the Granite State. Do you want a nominee who is endorsed by all of the rhinos, globalists, never Trumpers and crooked Joe Biden's biggest donors? She's your candidate. Haley accuses Trump of lying about her record. Regardless of what Trump says, I passed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country when I was governor. She hopes to capitalize on New Hampshire's independent voters next week. The other GOP candidate still in the race, Ron DeSantis, focusing on South Carolina, which is Haley's home state. This is going to be a long slog. It's uh, all about accumulating the delegates. The South Carolina primary happens in late February. Parents who lost children in the mass shooting at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, get that long-awaited report today on the police response. 
response. The U.S. Justice Department is releasing the findings into the May 24th, 2022 massacre. 19 students and two teachers were killed that day. Officers waited 77 minutes to take down the 18-year-old gunman. The families of the hostages held by Hamas in Gaza spoke yesterday about the condition of their loved ones. John Poland is the father of Hirsch Goldberg Poland, an American citizen taken by Hamas on October 7th. 103 days is 103 days too many, and we are running out of time. The hostages are running out of time. His son was kidnapped during the invasion of southern Israel and lost an arm during the attack. Six Americans are among the more than 130 hostages held by Hamas right now. American fighter jets struck over a dozen Houthi targets in Yemen yesterday. This as Iran-backed rebels continue to threaten commercial and military ships in the Red Sea. Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder. We are going to continue to work with our partners in the region to provide prevent those attacks or deter those attacks in the future. Uh, and we're also going to continue to work very hard to prevent the Israel-Hamas conflict from escalating into a broader regional conflict. But it appears as if that genie's already out of the bottle. Overnight, Pakistan struck military targets in Iran after Iran hit military bases in Pakistan. U.S. military analyst Jonathan Sweet. The Iranian proxies continue to disrupt shipping in the Red Sea, so so the, uh, the message clearly isn't getting to Iran, who continues to press buttons. The U.S. Navy used Tomahawk missiles to target the Houthis in Yemen. The strikes came just hours after the White House designated the Houthis an official terrorist group. Fourteen Democrats are joining Republicans in blasting the president's border policies. Michigan Democrat Hillary Shulton. I think Democrats need to own the fact that immigration is at a, a crisis level in this country. It's an economic crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. Uh, it is a national security emergency. A resolution passed the House yesterday urging the president to end his open borders policy. Congress has also launched an impeachment probe into Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer continues to call for another military aid package for war-torn Ukraine. If we don't come to Ukraine's aid, the consequences for America around the globe would be nothing short of devastating. House Speaker Mike Johnson says our border matters more, though, than Ukraine's border. Our border, our national border, is national security. And we have to talk about the safety and the, the sovereignty of America before we talk about anything else. He expressed concern yesterday that Ukraine might turn into another Afghanistan. Experts are concerned about the rise in colon cancer among people under 50. Dr. John LaPook is the chief medical correspondent for CBS News. We've seen that younger people are increasingly affected, which is why the guidelines for initial screening for people at average risk has fallen from 50 to 45. He says there could be several reasons for the rise in colon cancer cases. Maybe there's something in the environment, something we're eating, our increasing obesity, which is linked to an increased risk for colon cancer. Is it our inactivity? Colon cancer is now the deadliest form of cancer in men under 50. Still to come on the noon report. More on that crash that killed five near Scranton. Keeping artificial intelligence out of politics and the free Ryan Corbett campaign continues. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. We're heading toward the weekend and we're heading toward more shivering and more shoveling.
I'll have forecast details in 10 minutes. All right, Kevin, see you then. As mentioned earlier, a lake effect snow warning continues until 7 tonight for Erie, Genesee, and Wyoming counties in western New York. The travel bans that were enacted yesterday have since expired. Erie County Executive Mark Polencar. We do driving bans because conditions merit it where either it is too dangerous to be on the road or roads are impassable. It's not because it's a lot of snow. Three deaths are blamed on the winter weather in western New York. Here's Family Life's D. Haley. A 64-year-old man died while shoveling snow and a 41-year-old man was struck by another vehicle while he was clearing off his car. On Tuesday, a 57-year-old woman was found dead next to her snowblower. More than five feet of snow has been reported in some spots, including Hamburg and Lackawanna. Winter weather conditions postponed last night's Sabres game against the Blackhawks. The game has been rescheduled for tonight at 7 p.m. at Key Bank Center. Dee Haley, Family Life News. Thank you, Dee. We're learning more today about the five women killed in a car crash near Scranton Tuesday night. Family Life, Sarah Harnish. Pennsylvania State Police say all five were from the same Binghamton area family and ranged in age from 19 to 71. Their van was followed on Interstate 81 by a sedan with more family members. Both occupants got out of their cars and crossed the open highway to talk with each other after the first crash. And that's when the tractor-trailer accident occurred. Police warn if you're in a crash, never leave your vehicle. And if it still runs, get it as far off the road as possible. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Thank you, Sarah. New law being discussed in Pennsylvania could affect the use of artificial intelligence in political campaigns. The proposed bill is drawing bipartisan support. It bans the misuse of AI in political campaigns and will establish fines for violators. The bill's sponsor says artificial intelligence has been used in fraudulent ways in campaigns, and that could dupe voters and sway elections. Central New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney is pressuring the Biden administration to do more to secure the release of Dansville, New York native Ryan Corbett in Afghanistan. From what we know, Ryan is being held in a nine by nine foot basement cell. He does not have regular access to a bathroom, sunlight, adequate nutrition or medical care. Reports from now freed individuals who retained with Ryan state that Ryan is in poor health with discolored extremities, fainting spells, seizures, and has suffered from worsening vision. Corbett's been held by the Taliban for more than 500 days. His wife, Anna, tells Spectrum News. He has changed so much. He's aged a lot and lost a lot of weight, and I'm so scared. Corbett was kidnapped in August of 2022. Since then, his wife's only been able to speak with him three times. The last call was on Christmas Day. The Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office has launched a new unit dedicated to investigating human trafficking cases. This is an epidemic. I think it would be fair to say that it's in everyone's community. Deputy Attorney General Heather Castellino says that unit will help get resources and justice to survivors. It's very difficult for them to come forward and want to trust and cooperate with law enforcement. And it's not something um, that we're going to be able to exclusively prosecute 
our way out of. Amy Thurston's with the anti-trafficking group Hope Inspire Love. This department is going to make a difference to say we see you, we hear you, we want to get justice. How do we link arms and do this well together so there's that layer of support? Advocates say it's important for people to understand what human trafficking is and what it looks like so they can help identify when it happens. New York Governor Kathy Hochul's making it easier for schools to address the ongoing shortage of bus drivers. She's instructed the state DMV to implement a waiver that allows applicants to get their license faster. The governor says the transportation of children is vital for schools to work. The governor's new executive budget proposes repealing a potency tax on marijuana products. Yeah, industry experts say the potency tax deters legal sales and drives more consumers to buy from unlicensed vendors. Hochul's proposal would replace the tax with a 9% wholesale excise tax in addition to state and local retail taxes. Supporters warn that the illicit market creates a public safety and health disaster because unregulated products are more likely to be contaminated with unknown additives. Tax experts say higher prices for higher potency marijuana would push buyers to those unlicensed products. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. A rabid fox in Rome, New York, has been euthanized. It attacked four people in that Oneida County community. Those attacks happened between the area of the Mohawk River and Black River Boulevard. The affected individuals are being treated. Officials are urging the public to stay away from any animal that is acting strangely and to keep their pets up to date on their vaccinations. The Noon Report rolls on on the Family Life Noon Report with a check of sports next. It's our two-minute drill. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the one-two punch of Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson was too much for the Houston Rockets last night. Randle scored 31 points and grabbed eight rebounds while Brunson poured in 30 points and he also dished out seven helpers. The Knicks won at 109-94. OG Ananobi chipped in with 15 points and he also picked up four steals. In Portland, the Trailblazers finished strong, outscoring the Nets 31-20 in the final quarter to pull out a 105-103 victory. With the win, Portland snapped a four-game losing streak, and Brooklyn now has a four-game losing streak. Elsewhere on the hardwood, the T-Wolves down the Pistons 121-117. Atlanta got past Orlando 106-104. Celtics had no problem polishing off the Spurs 117-98. The Cavs blew out the Bucks 135-95. Toronto won big over Miami 109-94. The Hornets fell to New Orleans 132-112. The Lakers upended Dallas 127-110. And the Warriors at Utah was postponed due to the death of Golden State assistant coach Dejan Milosevic. He collapsed at a team dinner after suffering a heart attack. The Buffalo Sabres game against the Chicago Blackhawks was postponed due to a travel ban in Buffalo. Detroit won a 3-2 overtime contest against Florida, and the Canadiens edged New Jersey 3-2. Well, the world's most valuable sports franchise will not be making a change in the head coaching department. Mike McCarthy is returning to coach the Dallas Cowboys next season. That 
is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Man, still to come on the Noon Report. Questionable surveillance by the U.S. government. Western New York not out of the winter woods yet. And how COVID has forever changed church. We're talking to an expert after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Among the unexpected stories of 2023 was a renewed interest in all things extraterrestrial, from images of alien corpses to retired high-ranking military officials claiming secret government programs to capture UFOs to a strange encounter with Las Vegas police officers. The public interest in whether or not there's anything out there is as high as ever. But would the existence of alien life disprove Christianity? as some claim. Well, that's the question that's tackled in a brand new video. It's part of the What Would You Say series. It's called Would the Discovery of Alien Life Disprove Christianity? Many people assume that if any evidence were to be discovered for extraterrestrial life, it would be devastating to the Christian worldview. However, according to my colleague Shane Morris, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, according to Shane, quote, there's nothing in the Christian view of the world that excludes the possibility that God created life on other planets. In this new video, Shane offers three things to keep in mind. First, that despite the hype of science fiction and decades of searching, there's currently no evidence for life on other planets. Here's Shane. After decades of looking and listening and exploring the heavens for that life, we've come up empty-handed. So much so, in fact, that physicists and astronomers have named the emptiness the Fermi Paradox, which refers to the discrepancy between the lack of conclusive evidence of advanced extraterrestrial life and the apparently high likelihood of its existence. In other words, if life happens easily, where is everybody? Ward and his co-author Donald Brownlee argue in Rare Earth that life doesn't happen that easily, and assuming that it does is the real mistake. At least a dozen special conditions found on our planet are probably necessary for the existence of intelligent life, including a precise orbital distance from our star, heavy elements, liquid water, a moon, a magnetic field, not too much gravity, a nearby gas giant, and having a star like our sun, which, as it turns out, is anything but ordinary. Jane's second point is that even if intelligent life were found elsewhere in the universe, it wouldn't necessarily present a problem for Christianity. Again, here's Shane. Before Star Trek or Star Wars existed, C.S. Lewis wrote his Space Trilogy. In it, he famously imagined alien races that never fell into sin. And in a few essays, Lewis wrestled with whether the existence of real-life extraterrestrials would threaten Christianity. According to Lewis, the Bible never says God created the vast cosmos only for humans. For Lewis, intelligent aliens created and loved by God pose no problem, nor would they contradict the Bible. In the same essay, he cautioned that the Bible was not intended to satisfy our curiosity about such things, but as an instruction manual for salvation. He also warned that humans are in no position to tell God what he can and cannot do with his vast universe. That was Shane Morris providing an answer to the question, what would the discovery of extraterrestrial life mean for Christianity? It's the latest video in the What Would You Say video series. To see the whole video and share it with others, as well as see the other videos in the series, go to whatwouldyousay.org. That's whatwouldyousay.org. Or go to YouTube and look up the What Would You Say channel. Be sure to subscribe to be notified each time a new video is released, which is about every other week.
For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Outside we go next, where the shoveling and the shivering continues. Meteorologist Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. We'll have areas of lake snow continuing to the east of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Several inches there. Elsewhere, cloudy with a bit of snow or flurries and high temperatures in the 20s. Areas of snow tonight, a couple inches generally. Low temps dropping toward 20. And it'll turn bitterly cold tomorrow through Saturday with areas of snow and flurries and heavier lake snow southeast of Lake Erie and Ontario. All right, Kevin, thank you. The weather continues to be our top story this Thursday, the 17th of January. Reporter Emily Aketa says five feet of snow is on the ground in parts of western New York, and more is on the way. The snow machine isn't letting up anytime soon. We could see in parts of western New York another several feet through the weekend on top of what has been just a wild week of weather. At least eight deaths across New York and Pennsylvania blamed on the wind weather. Five women from Broome County were killed in a crash on a highway near Scranton. They were hit by a big rig. In western New York, two people died while shoveling snow. The third was hit by a vehicle. Mike Flick with the New York State Department of Transportation. Mother Nature gets a vote in this and she's a tough adversary. Travel bans in Erie County, New York have been lifted. Jackie Bray is commissioner of the State Office of Homeland Security. We've got the snow, the wind, the cold, each one of those standing alone would be absolutely manageable. But when you link them all together, right, wind plus snow equals whiteout conditions. Wind plus cold equals the threat of power outages. The lake effects no warning continues until 7 tonight for the Buffalo area. Concern is growing that the war between Israel and Hamas will turn into a regional conflict. Pakistan today launched retaliatory strikes on targets inside of Iran. This after Iran hit military bases in Pakistan. Also overseas, the U.S. Navy took out more than a dozen Houthi missile launchers in Yemen. The Houthis have been attacking military vessels and commercial ships in the Red Sea since the Hamas-Israeli war began. New information's being released today on what happened back in 2022 when an armed gunman went on a shooting rampage in the tiny Texas town of Uvalde. The Justice Department is releasing a nearly 600-page report on the law enforcement response to the massacre. State Senator Roland Gutierrez, who represents the area, says it's about time. It's my hope that from this report, we not only get to see some transparency, some truth, but some accountability. Five officers have been fired, including the school's police chief, Peter Redondo. A total of 19 students and two teachers at Robb Elementary School were murdered in the attack. There's been widespread criticism about the response time. It took officers 77 minutes to enter the classroom. I'm Michael Board. Shocking report today from House Republicans shows just how far the federal government will go to spy on private citizens. At the request of government, you got banks searching private transactions of their customers for key search terms, key words. It looks like without any warrants, without any legal process. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan says the feds asked banks to filter customer transactions by using terms like 
like MAGA or Trump. This is financial surveillance at its worst. We're going to find out how extensive this was. Big government, big corporations working together to, to financially spy on Americans. Jordan plans to question the FBI about the surveillance. A study out of Harvard today shows a link between fruit juice and weight gain in both children and adults. It's a new analysis of 42 prior studies which found that drinking a glass or more a day of 100% fruit juice is linked to weight gain, not just in kids, but in adults. The study, published in JAMA Pediatrics, says the actual weight gain is small but significant because juice causes a sugar spike and too much sugar in the blood? Well, that can lead to obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. Experts say the bottom line is skip the juice and eat the orange or apple itself and use portion control, no more than half a cup a day for young kids. Sarah Lee Kessler reporting. Well, local government meetings are typically not big news stories, but one was this week in Nevada. The Washoe County Nevada Commissioner's Meeting began this way yesterday. In the spirit of the unconquerable sun, the bringer of light and knowledge, we say, Shemham hail Satan. Yeah, you heard it right. A member of the Reno, Nevada Satanic Temple got to deliver the invocation. It's the first time a Satanist has been allowed to speak in front of a government body in Nevada. Last summer, the Washoe County Council voted to host invocations at the start of all its meetings, and anyone who wants to can speak. Satanists included. You're listening to the Noon Report, a Thursday edition on Family Life. Today on Family Life's Faith Under Fire, another visit with Allison Norton. A few weeks ago, we talked with her about how the churches in America are bouncing back from COVID. Today, Allison, I want to talk with you about the lessons learned and the long-term effects of how the last three or four years becomes either a springboard or a brick wall for us moving forward. Well, Greg, our research shows that those challenges and obstacles that congregations faced before that pandemic uh, largely continue to persist. The declining size, declining attendance, aging membership, aging leaders, less appeal to younger generation. These are trends that continue. I think uh, what is somewhat troubling is that early on in the pandemic, congregations indicated a greater willingness to change to meet these new realities and challenges. But what we see in our most recent 2023 survey is that some of this enthusiasm is waning, that the early creativity and flexibility that was prompted by the pandemic, some of that initiative and, and those ventures, people now are just tired, fatigued. We've also seen a rise in clergy indicating that they're considering leaving their current placement. But at the same time, we do see some helpful stories out of this. I think the enduring nature of hybrid options for worship is the prime example of that. Prior to the pandemic, only 20% of congregations offered an online streaming option. Today, more than 70% of congregations across the nation are offering hybrid worship. In other words, some combination of in-person and online virtual participation. And I think this is an exciting opportunity for churches in this hybrid space to ask new questions about what does it mean to create a sense of community 
for online participants or across the hybrid reality. You and I and all of our listeners probably know how troublesome and how brutal some church fights can be. But I did see one graph in your research about how church conflict, everybody really pulled together during the beginning of the pandemic era. Tell our listeners about conflict levels in congregations. You would expect something like a global pandemic to come along with differing opinions and how to respond. And I think church leaders were sort of set in the middle of that and making decisions on the ground of how they were going to respond. What we see now, though, is that in our latest survey, there is a slight decline in the reported level of conflict that church leaders are reporting that they're observing in their congregations. And so it does seem like we're entering a phase where people are a little more settled. I think the question that we have and continue to explore is, did the pandemic lead to people doing church switching, choosing to leave one church and join another that perhaps align more closely with their views of how the church should respond to the pandemic. And so I don't know so much if that decreased conflict is is a result of just natural harmony, or if it might show that some of the people that perhaps had the highest level of tension or disagreement left one congregation and went to another Is there anything else in your research that you really would like to highlight or what the lesson that local churches or regional networks should learn from what you found? Well, one of the most fascinating things is the ways that we've explored how optimism plays a role in the outcome of the congregation, the sort of ways that churches view their hopefulness about the future, their spiritual vitality has some concrete realities attached to it. Churches that are more optimistic tend to be more financially secure, tend to be churches that are growing more. And so I think one of the lessons we've learned here is just to think about this season and during changes that we're seeing as an opportunity to think about the future in new ways, to continue to be creative, to adapt adapt, to innovate. And so we've seen stories of churches who have done this kind of work. My own congregation that I attend has um, completely changed the church model. And we're now doing home-based three times a week with small groups of close community, and then join for a large corporate gathering once a month. And so I think this attitude towards experimentation with a hopeful view of the future means that congregations and their leaders can continue to make informed decisions and to respond to the realities and the challenges that congregations face. Allison Norton of Hartford International. The project is called COVID Religion Research. You'll find a link to their website on the news podcast page at familylife.org. I'm Greg Gillespie. This is Faith Under Fire. All right, Greg, thank you very much. And Faith Under Fire comes your way Thursdays during the Noon Report. You can also catch it online anytime at familylife.org. Just look for the News tab on the podcast page. A very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. We've got cold and snow in the forecast to varying amounts and time frames as a couple disturbance and lake effect uh, factors are all weighed in. Here are the details for this afternoon. We'll have areas of lake 
Big snow continuing to the east of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, several inches there. Elsewhere, cloudy with a bit of snow or flurries and high temperatures in the 20s. Areas of snow tonight, a couple inches generally. More in lake effect areas, low temps dropping toward 20. And it'll turn bitterly cold tomorrow through Saturday with areas of snow and flurries and heavier lake snow southeast of Lake Erie and Ontario. High temperatures tomorrow, early in the 20s, but those temperatures drop into the teens. It'll be a frigid day Saturday with high temperatures in the teens and wind chills dropping at times towards zero. All right, Kevin, thank you. And finally, at noon today, wordsmiths of the world rejoice. Today is your day. As Brian Query reports, it's a day to celebrate, commemorate, and maybe even observe. Elated, excited, even overjoyed. Those are all great feelings to express today as it's National Thesaurus Day. The thesaurus, our go-to resource for different words with the same meaning, was created first by Peter Roger. He released the first one in 1852 with 15,000 words. The book's full original title was Thesaurus of English Words and Phrases Classified and Arranged So as to Facilitate the Expression of Ideas and Assist in Literary Composition. Luckily, they shortened the title. So today, anytime you have a conversation, a discussion, or an exchange, try to use some different words and thank Roger for his invention, his creation, and his innovation. If you choose not to celebrate, for that, I have no words. <laughs> Brian Query, Family Life News. Oh, well done. Thank you very much, Brian. And that is all the time we have today, folks, the world we live in. Thursday, January 18th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.